link building today is PR. DigitalMarketingRadio.com Would you like to start your own show? I'm thinking of developing an online video course teaching how to set up, produce and market your own show. If that might be of interest, dear listener, I would really appreciate if you'd take two minutes of your time to complete the questionnaire at StartYourOwnShow.com. That's StartYourOwnShow.com. The Big Interview with David Bain. What's the secret to successful PR moving into 2015? What about inbound marketing? What are some of the most successful strategies at the moment? And is PR an integral part of inbound marketing? Those are just three of the questions that I intend to ask my special guest today, Scott Baradell. Scott, welcome to DMR. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be here and to, to get the chance to talk with you. Well, great. Yeah, thank you for joining me and uh, congratulations for identifying the accent. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I know a Scott any, any day of the week. Good stuff, good stuff. <laughs> um, well, Scott is president and founder of Idea Grove, a public relations and inbound marketing firm focused on enterprise technology clients and is based in Dallas and also has offices in London. So, Scott... Does PR have to be an integral part of inbound marketing? Well, I think uh, increasingly the answer is yes. Uh, the, the irony is how much um, the answer to this question has changed for, for a lot of people. I think that if you go back to the original book that the, the HubSpot founders wrote on inbound marketing called Inbound Marketing, you know, they uh, really characterized PR in a very old-fashioned way as kind of a form of interruption marketing, where you were essentially cold calling the media to 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 bother them with a with a try to get them to write about you, as opposed to just kind of organically putting content out there that would be discovered. But I think that really, um, in the old days, uh, the early days of email marketing, it was very much associated with uh, SEO and uh, blogging. And I think what's happened is all of these disciplines have really come together and. There's, it's really hard to identify where one ends and the next begins. Um, Google, for example, has had so, made so many algorithm changes uh, that I, I don't know. I don't know how you distinguish SEO from PR today. I mean, you know, they're, they're you know they're even recognizing, um, uh, you know, links when you know they're they're recognizing the SEO value of brand mentions in the media when there's not actually a link associated with it. So uh, an implied link is what it's called. So to me, um, that combined with uh, getting rid of the kind of uh, SEO games uh, of the past to make it more about real links and, and real mentions in, in real authoritative outlets means that, that the things that inbound marketing has, has always used to, to attract traffic to a website, well, if PR isn't at the center of that, you know, I, I really don't know what is anymore. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it um, annoys me a bit so when I hear PR is dead or SEO is dead um, because um, activities change um, because technology changes and certainly algorithms um, of search engines change as well. Um, so um, as PR has changed quite a bit, what would you say defines good PR now compared with maybe a few years ago? I think it, it's thought leadership. So I, I think that um, just as in marketing and, and generally, 
Um, this idea of tooting your own horn and talking about your product uh, doesn't get you uh, very far anymore. Uh, the same is true with PR. I think that um, what we advise, so uh, you know, we're integrated. So we do uh, blogging, ebooks, uh, all kinds of you know inbound marketing, you know, content-based programs. But it's all driven by PR for us. And the PR ideas, uh, the ratio that we try to aim for is 75% of our pitches. Um, translating into 75% of our content that we produce for clients being non-branded, meaning not talking about your company or your product, but talking about ideas that you want to um, share and, and partake, participate in a conversation, hopefully if you're good enough at it, to lead the conversation and, and, and have people to, to find you uh, that way. So in inbound marketing, that's basically what it's all about. Produce good content and people will find your website. Well, PR today, I think what works in PR today is to put good ideas out there that the media wants to talk about. And that's, they, they, don't, they don't have an interest. It's not, they don't get paid to, to write about you, your company, or your product. But you have a, a story idea that will appeal to their audience. Um, they do want to write about that. And... And that's those same kind of ideas translate into blog content, translate into uh, all kinds of inbound marketing content. There, there's a lot of parallels. Okay, so um, 75% of the content you produce should be non-branded. Um, but what types of content are you finding to be the most effective at the moment? Are you largely focused on content in its written form? Or are there other forms of content such as audio or, or video or infographics that you tend to recommend to clients and produce for them as well? Well, we, we think, um, you know, with uh, audiences so fragmented in terms of how they access information today, um, uh, reaching them in as many ways as possible is, is best. So we we will routinely what we will do is we'll start out with an idea. Uh, I'll give you an idea that we just did over the last couple of weeks uh, with uh, one of our clients that we've had for six years now is Shop Savvy. They're a, a big um, shopping app. Um, started out as a barcode scanning app. They're just kind of a general, uh, a really popular comparison shopping app. Um, for years, we were putting out, um, you know. Uh, Press releases and announcements and pitching when when they'd make um, uh, changes um, and um, improvements to the app for users, which is of some value. But what we uh, really have um, uh, built a uh, audience for Shop Savvy around with the media is taking advantage of their data. So what we found uh, across clients is that if you if your client has access to some data or or you know millions of, of data points from shoppers uh, are just part of the Shop Savvy app. They, they have the, the good fortune of having that. If you don't have that, um, conducting a study in, in the area that you want to project authority and expertise in, that works as well. What we did with Shop Savvy, for example, is we were able to show, if you look, if you do a Google News search right now with Shop Savvy, you'll see a ton of stories in the, the biggest out, media outlets out there around uh, we looked at uh, Shop Savvy. Uh, looked at some data around which companies um, were, um, which companies' sales were the most real, which companies had the lowest prices, which retailers online and off had the lowest prices, 
and you'll see that it, it, this, this data has generated a ton of interest and far more um, media coverage um, uh, you know, that, that made the point that a shop savvy is an authoritative source for finding out where the best deals are, which is the whole point of that. So we've made the, the, the point um, that um, shop savvy is um, the best resource for shoppers who want to find the best deal, but we didn't do that by going out and saying shop savvy is the best resource for finding the best deal. We showed it. We showed it in a compelling way that the media that the media wanted to share. So that kind of thing um, that can be, and we have done press releases. We've done media pitches. We've done byline articles. We've done blog posts. We've done infographics. We've done video. Um, some in some cases we've done all of the above at the same time. In, in other cases, we've uh, staggered those over time. We had a, a client that um, we uh, worked with them on a, uh, they're in, the, in, in HR, it did a study around uh, severance uh, and talked to HR managers around that. We did uh, some byline articles, some uh, coverage in uh, some quarterlies and more academic um, kinds of uh, journals. We are uh, moving on to uh, taking the results of this study and, and chopping it up into infographics, uh, things that are targeted geographically that we could pitch to outlets by geography or industry. And from one study, you can literally get you know, 12 months worth of good content that we can, that we can pitch so in, in various forms. Again, we started out with um, uh, long-form content now we, I was just reviewing today an infographic that we're going to put out next, and on and on. There'll be a video series, uh, webinar, and so forth. Now, I think um, most professional marketers would accept that there's tremendous value in content marketing or inbound marketing. Um, but what if your client um, was um, a senior player in the business, but, but not really marketing focused, um, and um, they were just looking at the bottom line, the immediate value in terms of does that visitor convert directly? And of course, if you're offering content, then perhaps that visitor is a little bit earlier um, in the buying cycle. So how do you find the more effective ways to determine the true value of inbound marketing or PRR? Well, what, what we talk about just from the outset when we're talking to um, prospects or prospective clients is we just try to be very straightforward that there's two types of buyers. You know, there's the now buyer and, and the future buyer. And if you're interested in now buyers only or primarily, we're probably not who you should be talking to. I mean, we, we do PPC. Um, if you want online, if you want now buyers, PPC is a great way to go. Um, um, and that's great. And, you know, but as soon as, as, soon as you turn off the spending, um, all those leads go away. You know, what we talk about is that, uh, a smart longer term strategy is to to pursue um, uh, buyers and pursue leads on two tracks you know the now buyers and the future buyers so and our emphasis is that the much bigger opportunity and over over time the much longer uh, lower cost way to uh, acquire leads is by focusing on on the future buyer and uh, the top of the funnel 
and um, that uh, you know an illustration that that I give in meetings that seems to help make the point is uh, you know I can draw a straight line uh, a horizontal line that shows this is the cost of of, of your PPC campaign. It's going to cost you, say, $10,000 a month, for example, for what your goals are, or $15,000 a month or what have you. Now, if you wanted to, as we have done for a couple of clients, uh, we've created not only non-branded content and thought leadership campaigns and stuff, we've complete, created completely non-branded sites to on on an industry topic like mobile retail or to, or wireless communications for business, or um, software testing—just completely non-branded uh, sites where we have built up a relevant audience over time. And you can imagine the startup costs of something like that are expensive. So if you if you if you have this straight line of your PPC spend, just imagine a sharply uh, uh, diagonally uh, vertical uh, diagonal line going uh, from the way above what your PPC spend is to, to way below. And I think the investment you have to make in content marketing to do it, you know, just to be to go in with both eyes open, is that it's going to cost more up front. But if you're doing it right and you're making adjustments as you go and you're tracking it the right way, over time you're going to build a, a large opt-in audience that uh, wants to uh, receive your content wants to share it, and is going to be a great source of leads that cost a whole lot less in the future. You know, um, it's been, it's kind of the, the, the story of SEO versus, versus PPC or, or really PR versus advertising. You know, I kind of associate all the kinds of organic things uh, that you do in marketing uh, as being uh, similar. Um, uh, we used to talk about in PR of equivalent ad values and, and we use different metrics now but the idea that basic idea was if I could get um, my client a mention in on the front page of New York Times um, that was uh, the, the cost of buying an ad on the front page of New York Times even if, if they would even uh, have one which they don't would be prohibitive um, but the value of a PR placement um, is so much more than, than an advertisement because of the authority conveyed as well. I think that's true when it comes to appearing in organic search results versus paid search results. I think it's true when people find your website organically online because you've produced some really good content or produced a resource that has established legitimacy. You just have to understand that it's it's a long-term proposition. It, it, it won't happen overnight. Um, and we emphasize that from day one. The other thing I would add is, is that just beyond the now buyer and the future buyer, with uh, PR, there's always been a very difficult to measure element, which is just what is the value of uh, a New York Times article, for example, or a Wall Street Journal article compared to an article in a vertical trade. If I'm a B2B uh, technology business and I get an article in Construction Weekly, and I appear to, uh, and, and that that business represents my buyers, and I get an article about my company in the Wall Street Journal, I might get as many, more referral traffic from the, the vertical trade than I get from the Wall Street Journal. Does that mean it was the better media placement? No. 
because the Wall Street Journal, that's something you can slap on your website. You can take everywhere you go when you're trying to establish your legitimacy with a prospect. There's a brand value beyond simply getting, getting referrals to your, your website that is a little harder to measure. There are ways to do it, but it's not an exact science. But I think that you know, PR for many years had very little to go by in terms of, of being able to show any metrics at all. And um, I think being able to uh, show referral traffic and show the ways that, that PR can drive web metrics is, is a great thing that, that PR firms need to be able to do now. But you're always going to have that element that's a little more squishy and hard to measure. Mm. But in terms of web metrics, um, obviously there is um, attribution modeling, and um, that can perhaps, um, if you play about with that and um, uh, give different values to perhaps earlier visits um, with it within the uh, the purchase funnel or or, or the um, the lead. Um, the funnel. Um, do you use any in, attribution mo- modeling software at all, or do you recommend any to your clients? We uh, we currently use that on a very limited basis. I will tell you what we do. Most of our clients in in enterprise technology and B two B technology, um, they um, it, it varies widely. But what I what I try to do what what happens a lot with the uh, data is there's there's uh, something that happens that I call uh, mutual mystification. You know, we provide all of this data out of analytics. They ask for all this data that they want, and um, and both sides, you know, try to to make heads or tails of it. And so, what I the direction I purposely went, maybe partly because I'm not an engineer, but I <clears throat> what I t- tell clients is that for my purposes. And I know it oversimplifies things for a more sophisticated internet marketer. But for my purposes, if I can show you that I'm increasing traffic to your website on a regular basis, if I can show you that um, uh, the, the content that uh, I'm putting on your website and the, the traffic that I'm driving to your website is driving um, subscriptions, content subscriptions, opt-ins, I'm building a subscriber base for you that you could, that we can then nurture on your behalf, and if I am getting leads and calls, then then I'm doing my job. So we really we what we do for most of our clients is this: we manage their their analytics. We um, we're a, we're a certified HubSpot partner. Um, we so we have you know six certified uh, HubSpot folks, including design, content, management. So we can fully uh, outsource that to us, and we can manage um, your your uh, lead flow and your program through HubSpot. Um, we are managing um, whether it's HubSpot or not. We're managing your contact form submissions. We use call tracking for our clients to um, be able to identify where every call is coming from and, and where it's going, and and from that um, we can. We build um, reports for our clients that um, are very uh, rubber hits the road. I mean, it, it's all. Uh, I, I just remember um, uh, it seemed like a couple of years ago when we when we first started offering um, uh, SEO and PPC, and you know uh, there was so much discussion, and you you might have an hour long 
discussion with a client over something like a bounce rate or 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 some of uh, or time on site and not to minimize those but I haven't had a case yet in with 25 clients in three and a half years where if I'm so consistently growing the traffic I'm proving the relevance and the value of the traffic by building an opt-in list and that I'm nurturing and turning that into leads and calls in online forms filled if I can do those things and keep it really that simple, the clients are really happy. I would say things like to your original point of attribution models, I think um, what I've found, we have folks who can put those together for clients. Um, I found that for the most part, uh, our clients don't have the patience for it, that, um, that they... Um, particularly as you are, are getting to uh, up to the C level, um, they want something that is that's that's a more direct line uh, A to B. Um, so that that's that's how we do it. Uh, it may seem uh, very simple to to other agencies, but it, I, I think that for our clientele, they've really responded to it. I think a lot of people, a lot of agencies, a lot of marketers struggle with this. Um, there's obviously no definitive answer at all. Um, so it, it depends on the business. It depends on what kind of marketing activity you're talking about. And it depends on the ability or, and willingness of the person within the the business, as you've indicated, to embrace what, what you're willing to talk to them about as well. Um, so, But, but it's, um, it's an interesting subject. At least um, I find it interesting. Um, yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> but expanding slightly uh, on something slightly else um, that, that, that you mentioned earlier on, you talked about um, the importance of a business trying to become a thought leader. Um, now, um, do you uh, mean that it's important for a senior person within a business um, to put their name and image forward and produce content themselves? Or can that content be produced on their behalf? Or... Can someone who is more junior within the business do that content production? Um, I think that it's uh, it should be uh, collaborative. The answer is kind of all of the above. I, I don't think that uh, I don't think a company can kind of outsource its thought leadership to a, an agency. Um, I think that, however, um, what uh, an agency can do is work with. Uh, I would say ideally multiple subject matter experts within an organization to create um, thought leadership um, uh, for an entity. And yeah, I mean, ideally you're going to have, say, three or four SMEs who you can um, distribute byline opportunities to, um, who can be um, used in media interviews, who can, uh, you can do videos with, um, you certainly don't want we it's a real bottleneck when you get companies where kind of the CEO kind of tries to hold that very close to the vest and and do that himself because often just things don't get done. And if you can distribute that, um, that's 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 the best way to do it. I would say you want you don't it, it you you want um, your, what your agency can do is really help you make the most of that and show you how to I guess translate. Um, your ideas and knowledge into ways that are interesting for for the outside world. So um, 
your subject matter expert may be someone who's very close to your technology but doesn't interact every day with customers, for example, um, let alone interact with the media or necessarily follow um, kind of what are the, 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 the um, seasonal stories or you know, what are the hot, uh, hot topics that people are talking about. What we do is we have a, a group of five writers uh, internally. Um, for the most part, they all have journalism backgrounds. Um, and we, we work with the client to brainstorm ideas. And then we do interviews with um, very journalistic style interviews with the subject matter experts from which we can create um, uh, uh, kind of a, a start, you know, starting point of content that we can then use in a lot of different forms. What what we in terms of whether who's producing it, how it usually works is we might have a very lengthy interview with a subject matter expert, uh, maybe a ninety minute, two hour interview over a range of topics, and we transcribe that and we use that as our core source material. For, for the content that we produce on their behalf. And so when it comes back to them, uh, we've done our own research, we've done other things to add to it and so forth, but it feels like it's truly in their voice. So it's, it's ghostwriting in the sense that we, we take that and turn it into a finished product, but it's, it's authentic because it's coming straight from the horse's mouth. We don't, uh, we don't just produce Google specials here where we're just, you know, what, what do you want us to write about or what? And, and you're just kind of, you know, five ways to write the same blog post yeah. everybody else wrote, right? We don't do any of that here. We, we really try to um, focus on what our client subject matter experts um, uh, are, have expertise in and can speak to. We do try to organize that around ideas and broader concepts that um, will associate well with the brand and and help the brand achieve its goals um, so so we we corral it in that way um, but um, if you depend on an organization uh, to produce uh, its own content you'll you'll be waiting a long time for that because they've got they've got full-time jobs and, and they don't involve writing blog posts or ebooks that's a really nice way to do it. I, I, I like your um, your concept of interviewing experts uh, within that company and producing content that way because um, I'm, a, I'm an advocate of people to do things like podcasting and videos and um, I'm probably going to be starting um, to do another course um, helping people start their own show. But I understand that um, larger organisations are perhaps going to struggle with that a little bit more. So I think your way of doing it works really well so yeah and what we, we when we do video and we're trying to do more video i think that's an area where where we're a little a little bit behind where i'd like us to be but we take the same approach when we do video what we do we've done with some of our clients and i just want to make it a core part of our content programs is we will do for example a uh half day we'll just get professional video um because these you know our clients typically you know if you say do something that feels very kind of DIY kind of thing. It they, they it's not it doesn't have the production value that they that they want to project to their their clients. Even though I never had as big a problem with that, but but that's a common uh, 
um, objection that comes up, and the easy way to overcome it that still keeps it cost effective is we'll do a professional video shoot at a client. Sometimes we've done full day, or more often we've done half day, and I'll have, <clears throat> in the same way that we've done, that I described that we do these subject matter expert interviews, we will do half hour interviews with multiple subject matter experts within the company, one after the other. Just It's just journalistic style. And we ask them questions. And, and then we can carve those up into um, video blog posts or, or other uses. Um, I think that that kind of thing um, is, um, you know, we need more of that, not less. Um, uh, more companies uh, need to be comfortable doing webinars and, and things like that. I think a lot of them just, you know, they don't feel like they're performers. Uh, they don't carve out time for it. And you kind of have to put them in a setting where they feel very comfortable. Typically what happens when we do these videos, I'll just, I'll just uh, I or someone else here will just do the interview. We'll be the We'll, we'll be in that role, and, and they'll answer the questions, and, and we'll edit it, and it's great. We could have done the whole thing live, like you and I are doing this, and, and it would have been fine too. But you know, within a lot of companies, there's just so much concern over that misstep that's going to get them in trouble or, or make them look bad or things like that, that they just feel, generally our clients feel more comfortable if you, um, if you, if you have a more controlled situation. But I think that that the kinds of things that you're describing, and we need more of that, not less. Well, um, I could um, talk about this for a long time, and we've um, <laughs> probably gone slightly over in that first section there. So let's speed okay. through the second section of our discussion. Um, so that focuses more on your thoughts on where digital marketing in general has been and where it's heading. So starting off with... Software I couldn't live without. What software do you currently use in your business that if someone took away from you, it would significantly impact your marketing success? I don't know. I don't consider us uh, software-driven or technology-driven. Uh, actually, I consider us story-driven. So, I mean, you know, aside from my, uh, you know, we're all on Macs here and, uh, and our operating systems and things like that, um, obviously we're, we're a HubSpot partner. Um, we... Um, uh, we, you know, we were in HubSpot every day, um, but we all have, also have a lot of clients that aren't on HubSpot that we that we serve as well. We use tools like um, Hootsuite with our social media. We use um, a variety of software tools for our SEO practice that that has evolved over time and continues to evolve. But I don't know. I I, I can't for me. I have little things, little things that help me in 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 my daily routine, like the Moz Bar, uh, in in just kind of evaluating websites and from from authority standpoint. Because in PR, part of uh, and part of the the PR and SEO coming together is that when you're evaluating um, media to pitch a byline to, for example, um, you prioritize um, your best opportunities for a site that has, for example, high authority. So if if it's got um, high domain authority, um, high page authority, and things like that, it what a smart PR firm today is factoring that in their calculations. You're not just saying, oh, this is a big. What we used to say is, oh, it's a big media brand. It's the or it's the local paper of that town or whatever, and therefore it's important. We're we're factoring in digital 
marketing considerations, SEO considerations as well. So uh, tools like that. But I don't know. I try not to, to get too tied to the tools because I just feel like they, they're always changing. We could have changed all of these out six months from now. <laughs> well, you've mentioned a few tools there. So I mean, it's, it's interesting that they're not absolutely essential to your business. And that's good because um, it means that obviously you don't utterly depend on them. And if they went away, then you'd continue doing what you did. It, it, it's really true. I mean, we. I mean, and honestly, we've tried. We've used um, uh, project management uh, systems. Uh, I'd say are like our um, our UX team. They use uh, BrightPod. That's what they use for project management. We used to across the agency use Rike for a period of time, um, but we discontinued using that. Frankly. Um, these guys do such a good job sharing with Google Docs. Uh, I mean, there are just so many. Uh, I, I, I say you talk to our PR team, and they'd say they, they wouldn't be able to collaborate without just simple tools like Google Docs. But when we try to um, find these kind of all-embracing ways to you know bring it all together through some magic software, it's never worked. And so, because uh, we've tried more than once, and um, I think um, how we're doing it now seems to work better. We, I'll, I'll mention. We, oh, I, I should. I, I there is one um, software that that is uh, essential to how we're doing business as a PR firm. We use Vocus. You know, we use the Vocus suite. Um, we need. You can't do PR without a media database, and so um, we um, often use Vocus um, in conjunction. They've got a workflow that makes it very easy to distribute pitches and news releases to uh, your custom-built email list as well as to um, uh, through PR web which which they own now what's happened in PR in the PR technology world the PR software world is uh, uh, they've all combined um, Cision has bought uh, the, the their two biggest competitors uh, Vocus and uh, Gorkana and um, that It'll be interesting to see how that evolves. Uh, it'll probably evolve into higher prices for everybody, <laughs> is my guess. But currently, they're all still selling themselves separately. I think um, uh, so. So that that's interesting. But yeah, you can't you can't you can't do what we do without um, PR software. Um, I guess I should also add. I'm sorry if I if I had uh, uh, put my thoughts together a little better on the front end. I I wouldn't be just. Kind of let, uh, letting these just kind of leak out like this, but um, the other thing that you need to do in PR is you need to do monitoring. And so, uh, I would not say that there's a monitoring tool that um, that is uh, essential for us. What we currently use, uh, there's some folks out of Austin, Texas, that we work with that have a, a monitoring software called Trendkite, and and we use Trendkite currently uh, across our clients for for just. Uh, monitoring media coverage, uh, share of voice, uh, things like that. So um, there's um, uh, another tool that we uh, that I like a lot, but it didn't integrate as well as we wanted with um, Vocus. Um, it's called I want to get it exactly right. There's just some friends of ours that we really like um, uh, called. Um, Iris PR and and what they do is it's a great tool particularly for say small and mid-sized PR agencies they um, it's a, it's a kind of a, a management tool that a, that a team can use 
because a lot of what you do in PR besides media, going after media hits, is you look for uh, speaking opportunities, award opportunities, and things like that. And it's a great simple tool for doing that. A lot of these workflow tools are, are so complicated. Um, we really liked Iris PR um, uh, for that. It, we just it just didn't play as well as we liked with with Vocus. So we're not currently using it, but we do like it a lot, and we think it would be a great tool for a lot of firms. Um, so anyway, that's. <laughs> that, 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 that will conclude my stream of consciousness. Hopefully there's a couple, <laughs> couple ideas in there that people might want to check out. No, that's a decent list. That's a decent list. Um, I've got one more follow-on question in relation to that. And um, um, What software don't you use but you've heard good things about and um, you intend to try at some point in the near future? Oh, good question. Uh, hmm. Thinking. The thing that I saw most recently, just for me personally, the software that I was interested in that I went ahead and, and paid $200 just to try it out for a month is um, is a SEO software called um, Link, Link Detox. Um, it's, a, it's very cool. Uh, I like it a lot. Um, we've made the mistake. Um, uh, you know, as you know, things that were... I, I built up my site all just doing it the old-fashioned way. People actually link to it. You know, you found me through an old ad age 150 reference. And, uh, you know, I had um, used to have Gawker and Romanesco and all these sites would, would link to Media Orchard. That's how we got our SEO presence. But um, a few years ago, as, as we, I started, you know, kind of going beyond just kind of SEO naturally happening for me to trying to learn more about kind of the practice of it at the time, we did some. We engaged with some, you know, well thought of white hat SEO firms, uh, but the things they did th- for us three years ago um, are no longer considered white hat. Mm. You know, I mean, that's just what's happened with Google. I think it's all good. It's great for a PR firm. I always that stuff of, you know, these people and uh, what they were doing. It all just stuck, struck me as a, as a game playing thing, which is what most of SEO is. You know, if it, if it's if you take the game playing out of SEO, it just becomes smart online PR, you know, and that's just the, just fact. And um, so, in using a link detox, I can go back and see, uh, you know, these here's some links that inbound links I got through this uh, SEO partner a few years ago, and I need to disavow them or see if those can get removed. And that's the kind of tool that um, that that we can use on behalf of our clients as well. Okay, um, well, I mean that's a good tip as well. Um, but we're, we, it's one we haven't integrated across our our uh, our practice, but it's it's, sure, it's but, one that I was curious about, so I decided to buy it for a month, and and I've been impressed with it in that time. Okay, worth worth checking it out anyway. Yeah, I mean, I mean SEO is obviously still very important for um, on your own site, ensuring that it's as fast as possible and structured in the right way, and search engines can crawl it and understand what it's about from there. But um, certainly, um, link building is is very very concerning um, if you're focusing on that um, to any great deal with with your business. I think link building today is is PR. You know, I just um, the the kind. I, I just think that there's very little uh, link building that you can do today that. That in my mind doesn't fall in the in the category of PR. It, in other words, if you're if you want to get mentioned by a blogger and you reach out to them, that that's PR. If you want to to get um, a link on a directory, um, that's PR. It's all about the fact that um, it's 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 such an extension of the way PR people have always worked. It's just that um, 
PR in the past has not really factored in the digital authority of who they were dealing with. They uh, looked at, you know, what were the big media brands, what was the quote-unquote circulation of an outlet and so forth in terms of prioritizing. And so it's all about prioritizing your outreach. Um, it's all, what PR has always done is, is outreach, you know, and, and, what, and, and, and to me, everything we do today is, I don't call it media outreach, it's, it's link outreach um, or uh, implied link outreach. Mm. Uh, it doesn't, either way, um, you know, all of these efforts are a continuum. There's, there's just, um, uh, so when someone tells me that they do link building, um, I really want to take a look under the hood and see what exactly they're talking about uh, because um, oftentimes they're still doing things that I, I question whether, yeah, maybe they can get away with it right now, but we'll, what's Google going to think of it in six months or a year? So let's move on to... I wish I would have. I'd like you to look back on the very first day that you're involved in trying to market a business online. What didn't you do so well? What do you wish that you would have done differently? Well, you know, the first thing I did when I started my company, so for the first five plus years, Idea Grove was, was just me working out of my house. And then I, I decided to, to, to get an, start an agency in, in 2011. But in 2005, um, I, I was interested in blogging. Um, I started my blog in uh, March of 2005, right after I built my website. And what, you know, if I was smart, a good friend of mine who now lives in, in um, Colorado but used to live in Dallas called Brian Clark, the, the, the guy who started Copy Blogger, mm. um, we, we still work with, with Brian. Um, Brian, um, Brian started his blog I think a little bit after I did. We were both in Dallas. For, for a period of time, we actually did a podcast together with some guys from Richard's group and, and, and Brian and I all did a, a podcast we called Dallas Marketing Zoo because we were – some of the most prominent, probably the most prominent uh, marketing bloggers in Dallas at the time. This is like 05. And um, what I noticed was I had started my blog before Brian, and, uh, I, and I got up to about 2,000 subscribers, RSS subscribers, which was uh, uh, talking about things that used to matter that don't anymore, right? <laughs> and um, I noticed that Brian, when I first looked at Brian's RSS uh, I noticed he had 6,000 subscribers. I'm like, how do you already have 6,000 subscribers? And then about uh, two months later, maybe less, I look and he's at 20,000 subscribers. I mean, how did you do this? You know, I'm, I'm, sometimes I, I used to post you know, eight blog posts a day sometimes because I would just take breaks in my day and post little tidbits. It was kind of like an ad rants kind of blog if you're familiar with Steve Hall's uh, marketing blog, Ad Rants. It was kind of like that, but more, but it was just kind of all over the place. And and what I realized is that Brian was so brilliant early on in a way that I completely was not. And he, you know, he built up Copyblogger to like 20,000 RSS subscribers writing two blog posts a week. It's crazy. Mm. Then, he, then he picked it up. But he was so focused. He thought about, he knew about SEO going in, but he was also an excellent writer and he combined those two things so well, and it just it just attracted. He also used tools at the time. It was before you were using things like there was before Twitter existed. It, he was using uh, Dig extremely effectively. He was getting on the first page of Dig all the time. He was just really smart about working those kind of communities in in 
and being very focused in his content. At the time, I just thought it was kind of fun that people were finding my blog and I would watch my traffic, but I just uh, had this kind of mentality of just blogging about whatever I wanted. So I literally would blog about uh, celebrities and politics and and a random variety of things. Um, and if 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 I it hadn't been for other PR bloggers and marketing bloggers linking to me, uh, I don't think my website would have ever gotten to where it did in terms of search visibility because my content uh, was just not relevant. To, you know, most of, you know probably. 90% of my blog content the first two or three years um, was not relevant to what I as a business was trying to accomplish. It wasn't about PR, you know, and it was more of a personal blog. I didn't know the difference, honestly, at the time, but I did know about how to um, use PR. And so, for example, when I'd write about a journalism topic, I would uh, uh, email a link with it. Hey, I thought you might find this blog post interesting. I'd write something provocative about a journalism topic. Email it to Jim Romanesco, which had a, who had a great, you know, very popular uh, site read by journalists at the time. He would link back to that post from his site. We'd get a ton of traffic, and and then from things like that, you know, I, I remember my first year, two thousand and five. I um, posted like a worst PR mistakes of the year kind of thing. Just on my blog, I emailed it to Jim. He posted on Romanesco. And then because it's read by so many journalists, like I think a reporter from, I think it was the Arizona Republic. It was a big big outlet like that, called me to interview me about the list. I'm like, what? Okay, <laughs> I'm happy to do an interview. But that's what I'm talking about. So I took that approach um, and that very PR focused. And it got me to the top of search results for things like uh, Dallas PR firms and the kind of terms that I wanted to be. But it was a very kind of random way. Brian, by being very focused and smart about the types of content he was putting out there and making it also, so much of Brian's content was, my content was very topical as well. His was very evergreen. He was from the beginning producing content in 2005 that's relevant today. And even with all the changes in digital marketing, because it goes back to the principles of good writing and things like that, which are, which are always true. Uh, what's, what makes a good headline? That hasn't changed. And I, I just think that um, what I learned from Brian that I wish I had known and I, I would have done my blog differently if I had known is that you know, to being disciplined in what you're blogging about it will will build a more loyal audience and a bigger audience faster. Uh, now that we're blogging for all our clients, it's it's a it's a lesson that that we apply for them. But I, I wish I had done it myself. I, I maybe I would have uh, would have uh, had a bigger side as as Brian did. But I also remember. Um Brian back in about 2006 or so because um he always had um elegant um themes that um didn't have a lot of um images or um anything else on them at all it, it just allowed the user to focus on the content as well and in fact he also used to give away um his uh, themes or his older themes as well and um i remember actually using um the old copy blogger theme for one of my blogs in about 2007 or so so that that's where I first of all heard of Brian. So he must have done very well with his marketing by also giving away WordPress themes. 
Well, well, yeah. If you look at how, excuse me, how things have evolved for him, you know, Copyblogger is a very big software company now. They're, I think, their revenues last year were over seven million dollars, and you know, and just there, there's over two. They're they're responsible for the Genesis uh, family of uh, WordPress themes, mm. and um, uh, I believe there are over two million uh, websites out there using. Uh, WordPress websites out there using Genesis themes, including digitalmarketingradio.com. Oh, you guys use the Genesis? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a great, it's a great thing. And, you know, they just came out with Genesis two in the last year. That everything is, you know, HTML five, CSS three. It's very, um, it, it just makes it very easy to to be up to date. Um, he he integrated, uh, you know, they they have synthesis hosting. He he put together a a, a package for. Uh, he thought and what he did that's so cool. It's kind of what Google did, you know. Like Google just kind of figured, ah, we'll put this, you know, search thing out there, and then we'll figure out how to monetize it later. He knew that if he built up a dedicated, committed, loyal audience in a certain area, which he did, then he would be able to find a way to serve that audience. and And so he became a software company. He combined with uh, the the dedicated WordPress hosting company and Synthesis and and Brian Gardner and, and the and, and the Studio Press and and Genesis and you know and it, it's just been inscribed on the SEO side and building all those things together. Now they've got a new platform called Rainmaker that that's out there. That's kind of like a um, uh, it's almost like a it's at the level of an Infusionsoft in terms of um, being that for that small business user, but it's uh, integrated. In the way that a HubSpot is, so it's a it's a unique offering. So anyway, he he once he, he built an audience, and then he he formed he he just followed a path that that's created a, a really uh, successful software company, all based on a blog. And um, so it's it's a great success story. Um, and, and so I I've I, I've learned from it over time. I wish I'd learned from some of it earlier, but um, uh, better late than never. The this or that round. Okay, this is the quick response round. Ten quick questions. Try not to think about the answer too much. I'm just looking for your gut's reaction here. So, ready to go? Yes. Email or Twitter? Email. Audio or video? Video. Affiliates or display advertising? (sighs) Display. Facebook or Google Plus? Facebook. Online price releases or one-on-one relations? One-on-one relations. Paid search or SEO? SEO. Email contact form or telephone number? Telephone number. Website or app? Website. Social subscriber or email subscriber? Email subscriber. And local marketing or global marketing? Global marketing. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) I think affiliates or display advertising was probably the biggest struggle there. Well, I, I don't like either one of them. That's why. <laughs> I mean, that's just not our that's not our bag. I mean, I, we I, I have enough experience with affiliate um, marketers to know that it's a it's an interesting field, and and we're not we don't do display advertising. We're not an advertising firm, and we we try to stay out of that. So neither of those are kind of in our bailiwick. The $10,000 question. So if I was to give you $10,000 and you had to spend it over the next few days on a single thing to grow your business, what would you spend it on and how would you measure success? Wow. Okay. Um, it, it, it goes back to the question we had before about um, now buyer and future buyer. 
Um, I think that um, if I was spending the money in a short period of time and wanted immediate results, uh, I, there are some, some markets that we'd like to grow in in terms of verticals and, and geographies that, that I won't say that, that I, I think I would actually spend it on, on PPC. If um, this is something that's more of a longer-term uh, investment, uh, I think that I would um, spend it on outreach to uh, increase um, syndication of our content. My number one takeaway. Well, Scott, you've offered a lot of great advice in our conversation, but what's the number one takeaway? What's the single most important step that our listeners need to take away and implement in their own businesses? Well, I I think the answer to um, audience and media fragmentation, which is the challenge for every business today, is to, you know, identify who your audience is and then um, use your core content in as many ways as possible to reach them in as many places as possible. Uh, the analogy I use is that uh, with content, it's like the the uh, the Inuits uh, who were known for for using every part of the whale. And and um, for us, uh, a good idea for content is as precious as that. And you should use every piece of it um, in, in, across all your channels: PR, social. Um, your blog, um, all the ways that you have to reach people. Great. Well, certainly something to think about. That takes us to the end of our discussion today. So thank you so much for your time, your focus and your advice. Um, What's the best way for our audience to find out more about you and what you do? Well, um, Idea Grove is the name of our agency and you can go to ideagrove.com. You can call us at 972-235-3439 and um, we'd love to tell you more. Great. Well, thanks again, Scott. Thank you. 